And I'm going to be reading Psalms 42 and 43. Hear the Word of God. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so, my, so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and in the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O oh God my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him the help of my countenance and my God. Amen. Father God, as we look to this word, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that uh, we would find our solace, our rest in you, that you would give to me uh, uh, lips that are anointed by your Holy Spirit. You would quicken the word to our hearts and help us, Father, to learn what it means to not just be hearers, but to live it out. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Many years ago, there was a Midwestern lawyer who uh, went through such severe depression that his friends kept all knives and uh, razor blades away from him because they were afraid that he was going to commit suicide. And during that time, he wrote this, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. This was the man who went on to be President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, and there have been countless Christians and non-Christians who have gone through severe depression. And I thought I'd begin by reading the story of the conversion of William Cowper, a very well-known uh, hymn writer, a friend of uh, John Newton, a uh, man uh, who uh, had himself uh, severe depression. But the story says, at age 32, William Cowper passed through a great crisis in his life. He tried to end his life by taking laudanum. Then he hired a horse-drawn cabbie, ordering the driver to take him to the Thames, intending to throw himself from the bridge. It was one of London's foggiest nights, 
They drove for an hour without reaching the chosen spot. Disgusted, he decided to get out and walk there. He found to his surprise they had actually gone in a circle and he was back at his own doorstep. The next morning he fell upon a knife, but the knife blade broke and his life was spared. He then tried to hang himself and was cut down unconscious but still alive. Then one morning, in a moment of strange cheerfulness, he took up his Bible and read a verse in the letter to the Romans. In a moment, he received strength to believe and rejoiced in the forgiving power of God. Sometime later, later, Cowper summed up his faith in God's loving dealing with him in a great hymn which became a favorite among Christians. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Now, if I stop the story there, you might get the false impression that If you're depressed, all you need to do is believe in Jesus and your depression will uh, automatically go away. And uh, that's the way many people look at depression. They they, uh, approach it rather simplistically. But we find that um, with uh, Cowper, he continued to have times of depression where he was really cast down in his soul. Now, it's true that uh, his faith in Christ and the biblical counseling he got from John Newton revolutionized the way in which he approached his depression. He did not allow those feelings to cause him to go into irresponsible behavior or any longer attempt uh, to get out uh, the easy way by suicide. Uh, but there are many people who say, all you have to do is trust God. All you have to do is this or that and you'll be over your depression. I want to give you some biblical solutions to uh, those who go through depression, how to cope with that. But I think we need to recognize that automatically the medical side of depression does not uh, necessarily go away. When the author of this psalm fled uh, with David into the hills of Hermon, he felt such an overwhelming depression, and yet there's no hint that it was caused by sin. And I think it's important to realize there was a book written by a psychologist um, some years ago, actually two, uh, Minerth Meyer uh, wrote it, called Happiness is a Choice. And uh, many times happiness is a choice. People can get themselves into that, but it's not always the case. And I don't think it was the case with Christ when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. In commenting on Matthew 26, D.A. Carson said, Jesus' next words, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, verse 38, are almost a quotation from the refrain of Psalms 42 through 43 in the Septuagint. Now, whether or not it's an intentional quote or whether the language is accidentally the same, it's clear that Jesus was going through something very similar to what this man in Psalm 42 was going through. Um, One version translates verse 37 this way, He began to be sorrowful and deeply depressed. When he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. Uh, Carson says it suggests a sorrow so deep that it almost kills. And there are people who express, have experienced that kind of, of anguish of spirit where they just feel they are being killed with the torment that is going on within them. Job, you know, was a person who uh, most people who read that say, boy, he was going through depression. And somebody might say, well... It was caused by sin, but God himself denies that. He says in Job that he did not sin with his words. He did not sin. It was not a a result of sin. 
Now, later on, Job allowed the feelings of his depression to get him into sinful behavior, and sometimes we call that depressive behavior. That was sinful, but I think we need to distinguish between the feelings of depression and sometimes the inappropriate responses to those feelings that people uh, find themselves in. We cannot say that the medical condition itself that people go through is necessarily something that uh, that uh, is sinful. In fact, uh, you may not be aware of this, but... Almost every symptom that you can find in depression, you can induce by injecting chemicals into your body. Uh, the uh, former Soviet Union uh, did all kinds of experimentation on political prisoners, injecting them in the psychiatric hospitals with hormones and drugs and things. Sometimes these people were turned into babbling idiots. Uh, but uh, the incredible emotional changes that these things can produce in a person... Uh, uh, show in itself, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a, a, an action or a choice. Sometimes it's the physical condition that a person is in that uh, leads to these kinds of feelings. But today I want to focus on one person's attempts to cope with that. And it may seem strange that I'm preaching from two psalms instead of one. I believe that these two psalms were originally one psalm and they were later divided up for liturgical purposes. You've got to remember that in the original Hebrew, there were no divisions. See, we've added, in fact, it wasn't until the 1500s, was it, when the verses were added? But chapter divisions uh, came later on in history, and the Hebrew just went one, one psalm right after another, and it was divided by the, uh, the titles to the, uh, to the psalms. And you can look it up in almost any study Bible or any commentary. They're going to agree with me on this, that this was originally one uh, psalm. You'll notice there is no psalm title over Psalm 43. Now, there is an uninspired title that, you know, New King James puts in there, Prayer to God, but that's not part of the original text. That's just a topical arrangement. The title is at the beginning of Psalm 42, To the Chief Musician, A Contemplation of the Sons of Korah. Now, by itself, that doesn't prove anything uh, much. It's just accumulative evidence. Here's some other uh, reasons. There's a structural reason. Psalm 42 has the first two stanzas. Psalm 43 has the complementing third stanza. So Psalm 42 is incomplete without Psalm 43. Uh, Then there's the stylistic one. All three stanzas have the same poetic style. Uh, All use the same words. Psalm 43 resolves the poem as a whole. whole. So there's the, the argument from words, the argument from resolve. There's the argument from recurring verse. Look at 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So here's a guy who is wondering, why in the world am I as a believer of all things being depressed and I as a leader of uh, Korah's temple choir, why in the world would I be depressed? He's got the same frustration down in verse 11, exactly the same words, but look at 43.5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and, and my God. And then there is the recurring theme of depression that ties these together as well. Now, some of you may have never witnessed anybody who has gone through depression. You've never experienced it yourself. And uh, this may just be a mystery to you. And so I want to go through uh, quite extensively some of the ways that we can 
tell if a person is depressed or not. These are some of the symptoms that will come out. And I think these two psalms give uh, rather a, a, a comprehensive uh, description of it. Look at verse 1. He says, first of all, that he feels miserable spiritually. He says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. In verse 3, the enemies taunt him. Where is your God? But in verses 1 through 2, he's wondering the same thing. He's saying, where are you, God? I feel miserable and it seems like you're not here to help me. What is going on, Lord? I feel isolated from you. Now, here's the question. How can a person who is a spiritually mature person feel isolation from God? Well, the clue is that you can feel the isolation, but that does not necessarily mean you are isolated from God. You've got to distinguish between your feelings and, um, and uh, from uh, the, the actual state. Counselors like to use uh, big words to impress people, and they talk about us being psychosomatic holes, which is just a $10 word for saying that you can't really divide between your body and your spirit. If you've got a migraine headache, uh, you're not going to feel like saying hallelujah. You may do it anyway, out of faith, you know, but you may not feel like it. And you may feel like you are abandoned by God while at the same time you theologically completely hold on to the presence of the Lord. And he does that. He recognizes he's not cast away, but he feels like he has been cast away from the Lord. Verse 3 speaks of social isolation. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? And again, in verse 10, he feels hurt when they say, where is your God? So it feels terrible to be ridiculed, to be made fun of, to feel isolated, to be alone. God told Adam right at the beginning, it is not good that man should be alone. Actually, he spoke to himself on that. He said it was not good that man should be alone. And uh, when we feel all alone, we begin to succumb to some of these feelings. We are made to be social creatures. Christ felt great distress when God hid his face from him. And you know what? In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that Jesus felt the stress that his disciples could not stay awake and uh, bear with him during this hour of his crisis. And so he knew what it was like to feel all alone in a crowd. In verse 4, this man compares his present miserable circumstances with the joys that he used to experience. And a lot of time, depressed people are, 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 are preoccupied with the past, always longing for the past. And uh, uh, they're uh, 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 t dwelling on it too much. Here are some other typical symptoms. Verse 3 speaks of continual tears. It says, My tears have been my food day and night doesn't take much to bring a depressed person to tears because those tears are just always under the surface, uh, ready to, to bust forth. Uh, in verses uh, 4 and 5, he not only feels weepy, but he says, I pour out my soul within me. And he speaks of being downcast and disturbed. And so there's emotional stress that's going on inside. And then verse 10 speaks of inner pain. It says, as with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, if you've never experienced depression, it may be hard for you to understand what they're going through and even believe, you know, that people can experience torment of soul from words that have been said to them that, you know, would just roll like water off your back. Uh, you know, and you might think, why in the world is that person upset and depressed about that? People say that about me all the time. It doesn't bother me. 
Do you see, a person who is depressed is going to be affected by that far more and be hurt by words and circumstances far more than a person uh, who is not already depressed. And then to make matters worse, the depressed person doesn't understand what in the world is going on and why he feels this way. Uh, he says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? He doesn't understand why it is uh, he feels so emotional. And then he repeats that uh, two more times. Uh, you ladies sometimes get a little bit of a hint of that feeling during PMS where you feel weepy and you're just feeling emotional and you're not understanding why it is that you are and people uh, ask you, what have I done? What have I done? Nothing. I just feel sad, you know, and you're, you're crying. Well, you multiply that many times over and you get the feeling that some depressed people go in day in and day out. It is far, far worse uh, in, in some people's lives than even the most severe forms of PMS uh, sometimes are. And so it's an inability to understand one's own emotions. Point F, sadness is often visible on the face and in your outlines. I gave the wrong reference there. It's 42.11 and the verse 5 refers to 43.5. So 42.11 and 43.5. And both uh, places talk about the help of my countenance. Now, countenance is a face. And so he's saying, my face needs help. You know, there's depression written all over my face is basically what he's talking about. Point G gives another symptom. Verse 7 speaks of being almost uh, overwhelmed with the circumstances. Sometimes people feel like they're drowning. There's no way of getting out. And that's what he feels like here, like he is uh, falling under Niagara Falls. Um, he says, he says there in verse 7, deep, calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have gone over me. Now what happens when a person is out in the middle of the sea and there's no boat around, there's no land, and you feel these billows coming over you? You begin to panic, right? And so you could write panic attacks, you know, into the outline there. Uh, this person is feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling like he's drowning, like he is not going to be able to cope with the things that are coming over him, feelings of helplessness. I just think this psalm is just an incredible picture of a person's depression. Another frequent feeling that depressed people go through is bone-crushing feelings of being oppressed or victimized. Verses 9 through 10, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. <clears throat> Now, again, if you haven't experienced this, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, what they're experiencing. They feel oppressed, and it sometimes is it's almost, they talk about it being bone-crushing. It's just like it's more than they're able to handle. Point J says, feeling rejected. In the middle of uh, verse, 40, uh, verse 2 of 43, it says, uh, why do you cast me off? I feel rejected by you, Lord. The last symptom that I'll mention is uh, 43, verse 3. It says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. He needs light from God's Word to lead him, to even enable him to go to church. Now, he wants to go to church, but he finds that uh, any of these things take incredible work, whereas with other people it might have been uh, easy. Uh, people often complain that they're in the dark. You know, they, they feel like they're in a big tunnel. And so I think with these descriptions, you can see why I have real compassion upon people who are going through depression. It is something that is very miserable to experience. Now, here's the rub. 
This man is thinking how inappropriate it is for him to be feeling this way. And it just adds to his frustration. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Which is like asking, hey, I'm a believer. I shouldn't feel this way. What in the world is happening to my faith? Have you ever felt that way? Um, I am very, very thankful that Scripture has included testimonies of depressed people so that when you go through times like that, you can look to David and you can look to Job and Elijah and other people and you can say, okay, I guess I'm not crazy. There are other people who have experienced the same thing. The question is not, do Christians ever get depressed? Of course they do. And um, the, 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 the important question is not, do they? But the important question is, what are they going to do with those feelings? Are they going to allow those things to drive them away from the Lord? Or are they going to allow them to drive them to the Lord? Are they going to allow them to make them give up on their responsibilities? Or are they going to appropriate God's grace to take them through those responsibilities? And so I want to take some time looking at the, the steps or the, 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 the types of actions that he takes. <clears throat> And they're ones that we definitely, I think, need to follow. First of all, the whole psalm is a good illustration of facing depression head on. He does not deny his feelings. And I think many times uh, in some circles, uh, people think, well, you can't be a Christian if you're being depressed. And so you've got to smile. God loves you, you know, and uh, you have to have this pepsodent grin. Well, there are times where it's appropriate to weep. Jesus wept, right? And and uh, don't deny the feelings. I think denying the feelings is just going to make you even more stressed out if you've got a fake uh, being, uh, being happy. So be honest, courageously face the fact that you don't feel spiritual or happy or alive. Uh, there are times where people, they don't want to get counseling. They don't want uh, antidepressants. They don't want anything because it's just too shameful to think that they're depressed. Well, the Scriptures talk about it a great deal. And even famous people like Charles Spurgeon faced depression throughout most of his ministry. And it was severe depression. There were times where he just wondered if he was going to even make it through the day, if he was going to be alive uh, the next day. Uh, and yet, he used biblical principles and nobody may have guessed at the kinds of things he was going through and he kept from giving up. By the way, antidepressants are designed just to get you over the hump. They don't have to be long-term Things. And if, uh, if you're on them long term, uh, you know, I, I would recommend you talk to me because I think that there are alternative ways that you can go. But there's nothing wrong with taking antidepressants to get you over the hump while you're getting counseling and you're getting the processes to work through this. Now, the second important step that he takes is he does not make the mistake of quenching his thirsty emptiness by seeking after things and trying to accumulate things. He goes to God. Now, this is frequently the mistake people make. They start feeling down, and so they'll go out and to try to cheer themselves up, they'll buy something. And as the bills come in, they feel more depressed, which makes them go out and buy something more. Other people will stuff their face, or they'll look for something new and exciting. And he does not do that. He goes to God. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Lord, my thirst needs to be quenched by you. I'm not going to look to idols to, to uh, uh, fill that hunger that is in, within me. And there are many counterfeits that the Lord people look to instead of to the Lord. Uh, sometimes people feel the only way I'm going to get out of my depression is if I get into a new marriage or if I get a new car or if I get a new house or I've got to get something. It's there, there, there's this thirst for going after maybe medical or maybe alternative medical uh, procedures. But there, our first and our primary 
thirst quenching needs to be by going to the Lord God. Idols will always let us down. Let's move on to point C. Uh, one of the things that Scripture encourages us to do when we begin to feel panic attacks or anxiety coming on is to quickly change the focus of our thoughts away from the negative and to the positive. And if you read in Philippians chapter 4, it's a passage dealing with anxiety and God's peace, you'll see that the Apostle Paul does exactly the same thing. He tells us not to be dwelling on the negative. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, that's exactly what this man does. Uh, whenever he finds himself in this psalm, beginning to think of the negative circumstances that begin to trigger those downward feelings of depression, he grabs a hold of himself and he says, no, I can't be brooding on that. I've got to get out of that. So let's just trace that through here. Let's look at um, this uh, cycle in verses 3 through 4. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. It's when he begins thinking about those negative circumstances, he feels the anxiety, he feels his soul beginning to uh, unleash underneath him. And what happens then is he begins to get into a process of brooding, brooding about the past and thinking all of the good things that they were going through back there and having a longing for the past. He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Now, as soon as he finds himself going down this downward cycle, this spiral, what does he do? He shakes himself up and says, no, I can't be thinking that. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. And so he takes his focus off of the negative circumstances and onto the Lord who can help him through those circumstances. And you see the same cycle in verses 6 through 8 and then again in verses 9 through 11. And then you find it in, in Psalm 43 as well. And I think we need to do the same thing. Sometimes counselors will actually advise that people write out all of the blessings that they have in their lives. And it may take them a while to figure them out, but they begin to see, oh yeah, I guess there is that blessing and there's this one. And any time they are tempted to think, there is nothing good that's going on in my life. I'm miserable. The Lord's against me. They whip out that card and say, no, those are irrational emotions. I'm not going to think about those emotions. I'm going to be thinking about the fact God is faithful. Look at all the blessings that He has given to me and focusing on those things that are praiseworthy. <clears throat> now, I've already hinted at point D. He refuses to passively give up and to be conquered by these emotions and these physical feelings. And it's very, very easy for people to do that because it's hard to struggle against that. The temptation is just crawl into bed and give up or to veg out or to watch TV. And he doesn't do that. Uh, he refuses to give in. Instead, he speaks to himself. Did you notice that? It's not a crazy thing to talk to yourself. Uh, he commands himself. He shakes himself out of it. He, he figuratively grabs himself by the collar and he says, no, you can't do that. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? You know, there's, it used to be said that um, people who talk to themselves are crazy. But uh, Scripture indicates it's actually healthy therapy uh, to talk to yourself in this way. 
One of the key steps out of melancholy is to stop allowing your feelings to dictate policy and to begin to do the right thing regardless of your feelings. To begin to do your housework regardless of your feelings and your trembling knees. Go off to work and you do your responsibilities. I went through severe depression when I was in my early 20s and I remember very vividly times I just wanted to crawl into a corner and die. Tell the Lord, take my life please, I can't live any longer. And mine was actually sinfully induced. It was because I had spent an entire year uh, seeing how much sleep I could get away with. And I kept lowering the amounts until I was almost sleeping, not at all, and fasting uh, excessively, abusing my body. So it's no wonder my body was rebelling. But anyway, I just felt, I felt horrible. But I remember thinking, no, you cannot do that. Shake yourself up, Phil. You cannot do this. And uh, telling myself, I've got to look to the Lord, I've got to focus on Him and beginning to go through the process that we're talking about here. Uh, now, that question, why are you cast down, I think forces us to recognize the irrationality of our feelings. And depressed people need to realize that. Their feelings are not representing reality. They're irrational and you ought not to be looking at the feelings. You need to be looking to the truth of Scripture, which is your anchor. Now, fifth, he takes his feelings to God and he acknowledges that these things come from God. And I give you some scriptures where he, he recognized God's the one who brought this into our lives. And I think we need to recognize that as well because if we are fighting against God's providence, He's just going to make us, it's just going to make us all the more frustrated. And we're going to even be in a worse shape if we don't even believe in God's sovereignty. If we think, well, this is an accident. God flubbed up and Satan's got a hold of me or something. But no, God brought that depression into your life and it's for a good reason. It is not the enemy of your faith. It is something that God has designed to drive your faith stronger and more deeply rooted into Him. And so, we need to make sure that we do not deny the fact that God is involved here. Uh, now, here He doesn't deny His feelings either. He holds the two together. For example, in 43 verse 2 He says, You are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Okay, he feels like he's being cast off, but theologically he knows he's not being cast off. God is my strength. And those two things many times reside together in the life of a person who is uh, depressed. And so he explains his feelings to God, but he at the same time acknowledges the theology of, of God. Another helpful thing that he does is he refuses to allow the good memories of the past to lead him to envy or discontent Instead, what he does is he says, oh, it's so much better back then. But he says, no, that's just a reminder to me. God is faithful and he continues to be the faithful God. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Point G says simply that he prays. Well, the whole psalm is a prayer. But look at verses uh, 1 to 2 of 42, 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. You are the God of my strength. So if God is bringing the depression and He's doing it to produce humility or patience or faith or whatever else it is in our lives or it's discipline, the sooner we learn that lesson, the sooner we can come out of it. So if God's the cause of it, it's obvious we ought to go to Him in prayer, right? We ought to ask Him, okay, Lord, I think I've learned my lesson. Please, could you remove this depression from me? Now, here's the problem. Here's the rub. There are some people who are so depressed they can't even think, let alone pray. I have seen people, they, they couldn't pray. All they could say was help, help. I mean, it's just they were beyond help. Now, I have never found anybody yet, though, that 
was not able to read a prayer, at least. They couldn't give an impromptu prayer because their mind was just fried. But if you read Psalm 42 or you read Psalm 27 or one of those psalms that ministers to the depressed to them, they would begin to find hope within themselves. And one of the things I would encourage you, if you go through depression and you find it's hard for you to pray, it's hard for you to express it, read the psalms. The psalms have a power in ministering into your life And the Psalms were written by God so that we could pray them to Him. They're the appropriate prayers of the heart that, uh, that is depressed and it helps us to, it helps us to resolve them. So make sure you pray. Use the Psalm book. Uh, it is a powerful ministry. Now this next point may seem like mockery. It may seem like pouring salt into open wounds, pouring oil, uh, not oil, vinegar into the wounds, but it is not. Point H says he praises God and thanks Him. And I want you to notice he doesn't just do it in prose, he does it in song as well. And spending time in thanksgiving, I think, is one of the most important points in this this sermon. It is an expression of faith in God's sovereignty, but uh, we must do that. There's a healing that comes. And it's true, we can weep, we can let it all hang out before the Lord, we can lament before Him, but make sure you couple it with praise and thanksgiving, because there is a power in it that tangibly, you can feel it beginning to diminish the melancholy that settles over you. There's healing there. And so in verse 5, even though he does not feel like praising God, he forces himself to do so. He says there, "Um, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And he's not just going to praise God once in a while. In verse 8, he says he's going to praise God in the daytime. He's going to do it in the night. He's going to tell God about His loving kindness. Verse 8, and he says, In the the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. In chapter 43, verse 4, in the next to the last phrase, he says, And on the harp I will praise you, O my God. Music can minister to the soul in a way that nothing else can. And he says once again in chapter 43, verse 5, I shall yet praise you. Now, what is there about singing that can minister to those who are depressed? Well, there's a number of reasons. One is you're doing something out loud which reinforces the theology to your mind, but I think there's something even physiological that's going on there because when you sing, you are using your diaphragm much more powerfully than when you just say it and certainly more than when you just sing it. Now, uh, doctors who have dealt with depression a lot have said that one of the things that for some reason helps is just taking deep breaths and letting them out. Slow, deep breaths, not real fast. You'll hyperventilate, but slow, deep breaths. And what's happening is your diaphragm is pushing down and that is the area where you're feeling a lot of this distress and it has some help. But the Bible says when you sing, okay, uh, there is an aid that comes to depression as well. I think even physiologically that is true because there is a pressing uh, down there. Here's some other reasons. There's a multiplicity of reasons. Uh, singing involves both hemispheres of the brain, whereas just thinking theology involves just one. Now, we won't get into the reasons why, uh, why I believe that, but I think it reinforces the theology 100%. And then finally, if there is a demonic oppression that's involved, there is a spiritual power, not only in ministering to our soul, which actually should be its own point. God has ordained that the Psalms will minister. But in some way, the Psalms weaken the hold that the demonic can have upon you if it's coming from oppression. And you can think of 
David, any time that Saul became depressed and this demon came upon him, uh, it says he played on his harp and he sang and the demon left. Okay, and so there, there is some, there is some power that goes uh, on there. But whether or not you do it with song or you just praise God in, in prose, Praise and thanksgiving is one of the most important steps that you can take to begin to have that melancholy that's wrapped all around your heart to begin to loosen its tentacles and to go away. And it doesn't have to be happy songs. When I was in my uh, deep depression up in Canada, some of the psalms that ministered to me the most were the sad songs, you know, the ones that were written in a minor key. I still love some of those songs. But um, point I, the ninth thing that this man does to cope with his depression <clears throat> is to work out his problems on paper. How do I know? He wrote the song. <laughs> you know, he's depressed. He's writing it down and God's taking over and God is inspiring what he is writing, but he writes it out. And I found that writing a journal uh, helps, a diary helps to aid in focusing your thoughts and forcing you to deal with your feelings in an appropriate way. It makes things more objective. It helps you to work through things that maybe otherwise you're having a hard time working through. Point J, he receives hope from God. He puts his hope in God. Three times it says hope in God. He didn't see any hope in his circumstances. I mean, that's the reason he's depressed. But he says in God, there is hope. And he turns to the Lord. And I've given in your outline some of the different ways in which he does this. He calls God the living God in 42, verse 2. He's real. He calls God a personal God. Uh, he, may, he may feel like God is distant, but he calls him my God four times over. He reminds himself of God's loving kindness, 42.8, of God's gracious provisions, and that's summarized in the little word altar, of God's life-sustaining power, 42.8. He reminds himself that God is his only hope three times, that God does care, 42 verse 5. And I find that in the expression that it's the help of his countenance, this time not my countenance, but God's, and countenance would be God's face. And if God's face is has got help written on it, it means His favor is toward you, right? So He's reminding Himself of this. And then finally, in 43.4, He reminds Himself that there is light at the end of the tunnel. He knows God's Word is true and He will not allow His emotions to deny it. He says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. He doesn't want to be led by His emotions. Okay? Uh, his emotions have proved all too fickle. He wants to be led by the truth and he wants his emotions to follow. Now, I should hasten to say, emotions are never neglected in the Scriptures, but uh, they don't sway the Christian from truth. They're always serving the truth. The last thing that this man does to cope with depression is that he commits himself to worshiping and serving God. <clears throat> in 43, verse 3, he wants the Scriptures to lead him in uh, this, this, this direction. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God my God. He's saying, I'll go to the ministry. I'll go to the service that you've called me to do. In this case, he was one of the sons of Korah. And so he had temple responsibilities. He may not have felt like engaging in those responsibilities, but he does so anyway. And what frequently happens with those who are depressed, is that they do the opposite. They allow their non-sinful feelings to lead them into sin, okay, into sinful behavior and uh, self-pity and self-absorption. 
And that leads into even more sinful behavior of abandonment of your chores. Here's some of the kinds of depressive behavior that is sinful. Failure to do chores, to do normal tasks, procrastination, withdrawal from social contacts, disorder, addictions to an escape, excessive eating, failure to eat, attempted suicide, vegging out. This man avoids that downward spiral by praying rightly, thinking rightly, acting rightly. He doesn't feel like acting, but he says, I'm going to do it. He worships, though he does not feel like it. And as he does, he at least avoids feeding this monster so that it will grow. But in more cases than not, when you follow these these procedures, you enter into what 43 verse 4 speaks of as his exceeding joy. And that's where we want to be, right? The exceeding joy of the Lord. Now, God doesn't always guarantee that uh, He will permanently cause us to lose our feelings of depression. He doesn't always guarantee that. Many times we uh, can alleviate that or completely get people out of that. But there are some people, some women have uh, these feelings once a month all the way up through menopause. And yet, even though God doesn't guarantee He's going to take away the feelings, He does guarantee that He can enable us to never allow those feelings to make us inappropriately angry, to make us uh, engage in inappropriate, depressive behavior. And so that's the thing that we want to uh, take uh, from this. Now, there may be a question, is there any order in the way in which we do these things? And I say, not really. Uh, I usually start with a prayer and praise to God, a time of thanksgiving. But I tell you, your, your emotions are such a jumbled mess when you're in that that you're going to be hitting it up any way that comes to your mind. You know, And all of these things are going to probably be uh, mixed around depending on where you're at. Let me just end with a couple of concluding comments. If you have a tendency to fall into depression... <clears throat> Let me say, there are a lot of other scriptures, there's other things, there's outlines that I could give you to help you work through uh, some of those types of things. But don't see your depression as an enemy of your faith. See it as something, even thank God for it. Say, say, Lord, this is something that's driving me to you. And I want it to strengthen my faith. I want it to strengthen my resolve to follow after you. Help me not to become self-absorbed with it. And and, uh, talk yourself... uh, Uh, into hoping in God as this psalm does. To those of you who have never had problems with depression, I want you to at least be sensitive to what others have gone through. Here is an inspired scripture that says there are people who go through agony of spirit. And just because you haven't gone through it, don't be insensitive to what they're going through. And at least you can follow after All of the principles of point three, whether you're depressed or you are not depressed, and I think perhaps one of the biggest lessons we can learn is in verse one, my soul thirsts for you. I think the sad fact, the sad truth of the matter is that many people who are not depressed do not have the kind of thirst for God that this depressed man has. Here's a depressed man who's putting most of us to shame. You know, we've got a shallow Christianity and really our prayer ought to be, Lord, I want to thirst after you. At least, I've got a hunger to be hungry. I've got a thirst to be thirsty. Lord, make my Christianity more deep. And if it takes giving me depression, so be it, Lord, because I want you to be my all in all. Now, I would never pray for depression for any of you. It is a miserable thing to go through. But let me tell you something. Lacking a thirst for God is even more dangerous. It's even worse. And so, hopefully, that can put into perspective for you that you really do need to have a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. 
rather than being lackadaisical or apathetic about your Christianity. Here's Jesus' promise to both the depressed and the non-depressed. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. May we have that kind of a thirst. May we drink of him. May we be satisfied with the life-giving waters that come from his throne. Amen.